Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome, JC, to the show. Uh, We have a special show that we're going to do for you today, the Q&A show. I've already got a bunch of questions that have been coming in and And I've really been flooded with questions all day long about the Constitution, about the restrictions. Can this governor do that? Can the president do this? And what about martial law and all this other stuff? And so I wanted to take the opportunity to answer the questions that you have. So when you have questions, you can type them into the chat room and we will answer those questions for you. Now, don't don't just sit around and wait for somebody to ask the question you're thinking about. And don't worry, we're not going to make you feel silly or there's, you know, we're, we're not going to we're not going to make fun of anybody. Just ask your questions and we will honestly to the best of our ability answer them. Uh, I usually have a rule when I have Q&A sessions and the first rule is you must actually understand that I don't know everything about everything. Now, JC, he might know everything about everything, but I don't know everything about everything. And so what I want to do is uh, let you know that I'm not here to just make stuff up as we go along. So if you ask me a question or ask JC a question and we don't know the answer to that question, then we're going to tell you. So we're not just going to make it up as we go along. Uh, but I want to I want to say and encourage you to ask your questions. We will get to as many as we possibly can. And in uh, the middle, I'm going to be dealing with questions that I've had throughout the day on other social media. Got it? Got it. Don't forget to give us your thumbs up as you come in. Don't forget to share it. You have friends and family members that have been bombarding you with questions. So let us answer them for them. Now, I would say... The craziest question I got, JC, today was, if the election is postponed in November, the presidential election is postponed in November, does that mean that Nancy Pelosi is automatically president of the United States? <laughs> that was my favorite one today. And I asked him, I said, I said, I said, no. I said, where did you get this question? He said, oh, I was working the night shift in one of the late night, midnight talk shows. Somebody called in and said that. And I just thought it sounded weird. So I wanted to make sure it wasn't true. That does sound weird. (laughs) So guess what? Nancy Pelosi will not be made declarative president if the elections are postponed. If the elections are postponed, government will remain as it is until the election happens. Uh, but I can't see that happening. I can't see that happening either. There's, look, I can't see this going on all the way till November. I'm just going to say that out loud. Now, the first question that I wanted to talk to I you guys. I can see it resurfacing in November, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Resurfacing in November. Yeah, it could reoccur. Like, we... Yeah, anyway, so. Because of flu season. Don't get off track, but. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. But I mean, it's the same kind of question because people are asking about whether the election can be postponed and that sort of thing. But I don't I don't really see that happening. Can the election be postponed? Yes, it can. Mm. Constitutionally, can, be, can it be postponed? Okay. I'm not seeing that. I mean, first off, we have to recognize 
something very important. And we've had a whole show on this, JC. I mean, I've been doing shows all over the networks, people calling me in as a guest to do shows on this. And it's it's a what about national emergency power? The bottom line is there is no constitutional authority for a national emergency. And that brings up the very first question that I want to answer from social media, okay? And a lot of people are talking about the suspension of habeas corpus. Where does that come from? How uh, is it constitutional during a pandemic for the for the federal government to suspend habeas corpus? Well, and they're they're saying that the the people who are arguing, and we're talking about lawyers and judges and the wonks and everybody who are arguing that because of the pandemic, there is an authorization in the Constitution to suspend habeas corpus through Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2. So I thought maybe that would be a good place to start. JC, in the meantime, while we're, I'm going to put you in charge of making sure that we keep up with the questions so you can scroll back and forth. So, uh, the Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2 of the Constitution reads, The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in case of rebellion or invasion the public safety may require it. Okay? Now, what we need to understand is public safety is not a third qualification in there. You have two qualifications for the suspension of habeas corpus in the case of rebellion or invasion. And the only time in the case of rebellion or invasion habeas corpus can be suspended is when public safety requires it. Yeah, when in the case of rebellion or invasion the public safety right. may, may require So the example that I want to give you Grammar's is... Grammar's tough for people. I, well, and it, it's... It is a, a grammar construction that we don't use very often in modern society in 140 characters that. or less with... Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, that, Thank that's you my for point. that caveat. Okay. The 140 characters or I mean, less. We still speak English, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So anyway, the example that I would give you in that scenario is to, to say, look, if, for example, South Texas was being invaded... There would be no cause to suspend the writ of habeas corpus in North Dakota because the public safety might demand it in South Texas, but it wouldn't demand it in North Dakota. So that's the, that's the, the, the way we need to understand this. Now, the, re, the fact that, that you have so-called educated people Stepping up and saying, hey, uh, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2 gives us the authority to, to suspend habeas, the writ of habeas corpus during a pandemic because, you know, because public safety is in jeopardy is just simply illiteracy. Now, you're my grammar guy. Would you, would you agree with that statement? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's just get that out of the way. So there is no habeas corpus. By the way, in the whole modern breathing, living document thing, can we just all admit that our founders were familiar with pandemics? Can we admit that our founders were familiar with the spread of disease? I mean, it happened all throughout history. And if they wanted the federal government to be in charge of the country during a pandemic, this is not a 20th century invention, they would have included pandemic in the list of things, and they did not. 
So the first question that we're getting from the chat room is a question from Mitch the Ripper. Did I say that right? Do you find it to be a coincidence that the phrase free state appears exclusively in Article 2 of the Bill of Rights? I don't know. Do you, I don't know if I understand that question. Amendment 2? Second Amendment. I know it's the Second Amendment, but I, a coincidence. Well, let me just explain to you that what... The rights, that the right to keep and bear arms is connected with the security of a free, free state. Free state, yeah. Meaning that it's not connected with any other part of the Bill of Rights? Maybe individual? I don't know. Let me explain to you because we I teach this in the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms class that I have. When we, when we talk about these things, we need to understand what they meant by them, right? A free state is, is well described during the ratification debates to justify incorporating the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, Noah Webster says that uh, a standing army can only rule over the people when the people are disarmed, as they are in mo almost every kingdom in Europe. And then he goes on to say that the supreme power in America, controlled by Congress, cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of people are armed and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops that can be raised on any pretense, that, that we are the ones being well armed out arming any force that can be organized by the federal government are the check and balance. So the free state under that context would be a people who can guard themselves from oppressive tyrannical rule. Uh, George Mason says that uh, 40 years ago when the idea of enslaving America was brought forward to the king, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania advised, advised uh, parliament that they should disarm the people, that it was the most, most effectual way to enslave them. So how do we secure a free state? We are armed so that we are never enslaved. And so that's, these are the kind of things that you want to think about. Now, maybe why wasn't a free state mentioned in the right to freedom of press? I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I understand the question completely, but I'm going to tell you in the context of the Second Amendment, a free state specifically means the people are able, equipped, and trained to not fall into subjection to a tyrannical leader. So a free state, I, I, this is it, a free state requires free people. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Did you catch the next question, JC? Oh, there's a couple. Okay. Several. Um, so, da, 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 da. Uh, no, it was down further. You moved it. Yeah, I know there was a question about AG Barr. Can, can the Attorney General Barr sue states like California when it imposes policies that threaten the public safety, like turning con convicted prisoners loose, uh, failure to arrest people for theft? Well, you see some of these orders coming out mm -hmm. uh, in, in lots of places. So, right. turning. In fact, interesting in California, they're turning the uh, prisoners loose <laughs> and then shutting down gun stores. So, well, not only that, they've ordered everybody crazy. in the state to shelter in place. They're not allowed to leave their homes, but they're turning the prisoners out of the prisons. Yeah, where do they go? Where are they going? Are you know? Uh, so, all right. So, is there? So it seems like the question is the what is the what is the federal government's authority to respond to that. Well, let's let's be clear. I think that would be separate. 
jurisdictions, yeah. right? Right. The federal government doesn't have the authority to respond to anything within a state without an invitation by the state. So if the state invites the, uh, the federal government in because there's an insurrection or an invasion, right? So you have that, those clauses in the Constitution. Through insurrection and invasion, the states can request that the federal government render aid. Then they can do that. But to just simply come up and say, we're going to sue you or we're going to censor you or you're going to do something to you because of this is outside federal constitutional jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bottom line is, and here's, here's what we missed today, and I think that's because we've become so federalized in the way that we think. The federal government was not established to rescue us from our own governments. The federal government was established to be a representative to the states in foreign affairs. It has been, it has to be, and it must always be the responsibility of the people in the states to govern themselves. If you have a governor, like in California, that is completely tyrannical and off the rails, it is the responsibility of the people in New York to rise up and make a change. It's not the jurisdiction of the federal government. I've asked this question before. I saw it in there about, um, is there anything requiring the federal legislators to be physically present to vote? Why, I mean, in a, in a world of, we've had this conversation, in a yeah. world of, you know, an, an app for everything and mm-hmm. internet and all that. Right. Why do these people have to, have to live in D.C.? I, I don't, that's beyond me. Uh, but is there a specific requirement for them to be physically present in Washington, D.C.? I mean, other than that's that's the designated seat of government. I mean, I, there I, is, I don't There I don't is know. absolutely nothing within the text of the Constitution nor within the intent of the founders that, the, that they must be present. Other than it says uh, like two-thirds of the members present. But you could do right? that but electronically. you could be present in a Zoom meeting these days. Right. And and honestly, here's well, here's we just the thing. listened to we just listened to an ad hoc committee uh, of Hillsborough County, and mm-hmm. they they had a meeting and a vote over the phone. Right, they didn't have to be physically right. present. And you can even in a Zoom meeting, you you can see their faces. So I mean, you could even require video or something like that. Here's the reason that I know we don't we we already don't practice that. Do you know in the House of Representatives in many states, it's the representatives have ability to cast a vote from their office? They right. hit a button and can cast a vote from their office. So you don't have to go to the floor. You don't have to go to the floor to vote. Well, even if residents, you know, vote absentee. Yeah. I mean, why why can't why can't the legislators do that? Right. So, th- so there's no actual constitutional requirement that you know of that says no. That all this has to happen with them there physically. Right. Right. No. And and again, uh, there's no there's no practical restriction either. Right. And we know in many places they actually do that. Right. All right. Uh, you want to get into. You've talked about this numerous occasions, but uh, 
the moment where we put the Second Amendment into action. You want to tackle that on <laughs> this show? At what point? What What is, you know, if the purpose of the Second Amendment is to protect us from a tyrannical government. Right. When do you know you're there? Yes. I guess is Well, the I think that um, I was I was hoping maybe I could pull up. Whoa, what happened to us? Uh-oh. Okay. I think we still have audio <laughs> and we're streaming. All right. We still have audio but, and we're uh, still streaming. But let the, me check the... The picture might have disappeared here for a second. So stick with us while we're still talking to you. Um, there you're we there? go. Oh. Yeah, so there we go. Oh, my goodness, I was green. <laughs> nope, it's going off again. Why are we losing our camera? We're losing our camera because we're under... Okay, so just audio answer that question yeah. and see what will uh, happen. So uh, as an audio answer to that question, while JC is attempting to get our camera up and working again, uh, I want to mention to you, I think what a really good quote in this when I can pull this up if I can get this to pull up comes from Justice Blackstone okay Justice Blackstone was the um, oh here it is uh, was a very very important jurist for shall you shall return the uh, was a very important jurist for our founders meaning he was a really important judge and Justice Blackstone was the one that gave the greatest guidance to our founders on the application of uh, foreign law, on the application of natural law, on the application or of, of English law through natural law. So he says, to vindicate these rights when actually violated or attacked, the subjects of England are entitled first to the regular administration and free course of justice in the courts of law. Next, to the right of petitioning the king and parliament for a redress of grievances, and lastly, to the right of having and using arms for self-preservation and defense. Okay, so he has a three-step outline for us, okay? A three-step outline for us. When your rights are violated by the federal, uh, by your government, first, you're entitled to the regular administration and free course of justice in the courts. Secondly, to the right of petitioning and uh, the king and parliament for a redress, uh, the right of petitioning the government for a redress of grievances. Third, for using arms for self-preservation and defense. Now that's when you live in a kingdom, right? But we live in a constitutional republic. So we actually have more remedies than they did in a kingdom. More remedies, Matt came in and he's casting dog shadows <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> so what I wanna say, what, the point that I wanna point out here with Justice Blackstone, is when do we have, when do we exercise our right of having and using arms for self-preservation and defense? When we have completely exhausted every other peaceful means. 
And I wanted to say what Justice Blackstone said so people don't, you know, like Chris Ann, she's always avoiding this or whatever. I'm not avoiding this. I'm telling you. We, historically, politically, we have a process that we have to follow. And unfortunately, we have not been, we haven't even started following that process. Inherent, JC, in this process, before we pick up arms, is the state getting involved and saying we will not comply. We don't have enough states refusing to comply at this point. That's a peaceful means. We need sheriffs to refuse to comply. We need people to refuse to comply. And so that's something that that has to happen while we're before before we do all that. We have to exhaust all the peaceful measures. And unfortunately, we have yet to start actually exercising those peaceful measures. And so uh, part of the problem, you know, JC, in exercising those peaceful measures is that a majority of the American people don't even know what they are. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why, you know, that's why we wrote the book Sovereign Duty so that people could understand the process. That's what Sovereign Duty is is all about, is showing people the process. Can you, speaking of the Sovereign Duty book, can you explain, some will say, well, you know, back to the question of AG suing the states, suing California or whatever. Um, and so people say the Constitution applies to the states. Can you, can you explain, can you explain that? Well, that's probably one does of the con- those does the, questions. Does the Constitution bind the states? Was it made to bind the states? That's that's a question that takes a little bit more instruction, but I can say to you, it binds the states in certain applications. So Article 6, Clause 2 says, the Constitution of the United States and the laws uh, of the United, the Constitution and the laws of the United States made in pursuance thereof shall be the supreme law of the land. Treaties made under the authority of the Constitution are the supreme law of the land. So when we're following the Constitution, when we're following laws that are made in pursuance to the articles of the Constitution, then the Constitution binds the states. Meaning those laws are supposed to apply equally in every state. Like one, one state can't decide some to do something else on, on a properly constitutionally Pass law. Well, I think one of the, the, gr- the best examples is is that a state can't go to a foreign country and make a treaty. That's a, that's a power we've delegated to the federal government. Okay. So the Constitution, the state is bound by the Constitution in that matter. The state can't make that kind of arrangement. The states can't change the rules of uniform natural, the uniform rules of naturalization. That is a part of the Constitution that they are bound by. So, so you would, maybe we could say it in this way, those the, the the constitution is a contract between the states yes. right and they agreed amongst each other yes. uh to say okay these powers yes. that we enumerated to the federal government we all agree to that right so that's a power enumerated but but i guess the other part of the other dynamic of of that conversation is when you know for the, the bill of rights or different things yep. is not is, is, is not to say telling it's not telling the states i mean it's not the states talking to themselves if, if it's the states right. making the contract so these were directions of, to the federal government and 
uh, alarm bells for the people the, so that they yeah, can hold the, their government the accountable. The problem with how we, the problem with the question about the Bill of Rights is the fact that we don't teach the proper purpose of the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the Bill of Rights, and you have to read the discussion during the ratification of the Bill of Rights to understand its purpose. Uh, and, and not only that, the preamble makes that very clear as well. And most people don't even realize there's a preamble to the Bill of Rights. There's actually a preamble to the Bill of Rights. And so the purpose of the Bill of Rights is not to limit the federal government further. Alexander Hamilton said it very clearly, and he said, why do we have to tell the federal government not to do something when we've never delegated them the power to do it in the first place? For example, he says, why do we have to tell the federal government that they have no power to infringe upon our freedom of press when in the original Constitution we never delegated any authority to them over press? So the Constitution itself is a limiting document, meaning if it's not been specifically delegated, the federal government has no authority over it. So if the Bill of Rights was not an essential, was not a document essential to limiting the federal government, what is the purpose of the Bill of Rights? Well, Richard Henry Lee explains to us the purpose of the Bill of Rights is to be a reminder to the people a, he, he actually calls it a sentinel, a visible, a visible barrier, constantly seen by all, so that the people will be the guard of their own rights. The Bill of Rights is a reminder to the people of what their inherent natural rights are and that they should not allow, allow government to infringe upon them. But, but he still says... You know, he says seen by all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's also seen by government. So even though it's the people's responsibility to do that, the government is still aware. Right. You're not supposed to enter into these areas. But the but the so it's at least a notice. It's, it's a, at least it's a, a notice. notice to but the government. there's also a realistic understanding that, and as as James Madison called it, the Constitution a parchment barrier. Right. That the Constitution, as a notice to government, does nothing. Correct. Because historically speaking, and even in their own history, my goodness, they had five con five editions of their constitution, their liberty charters, that put strict limits on the king, and the king would keep those promises as long as he had a sword at his throat. But as soon as, as Richard Henry Lee called him, those unavoidable intervals of inattentiveness, when the people got pacified in prosperity, got lazy in luxury, got complacent and compliant in their in their uh, comfort, right? We're so comfortable, we're not gonna do anything. Then the people let down the sword. Then the documents had no effect at all because it really wasn't the document that affected the government. It was the sword of the people that affected the government and the people kept the sword as long as they were attentive to their rights. The danger in saying that the Bill of Rights was established to be a limit on the federal government is the entire conversation that we're having. Well, does it apply to the states? Doesn't it apply to the states? The principle that we must understand here is number one, the Bill of Rights doesn't issue any rights. It is a document that remarks on rights that already exist. And our Declaration of Independence declares before the federal government even existed that the purpose of government is to secure our rights. So we have a Bill of Rights to be a reminder of the people. 
not just simply on the federal level, but on the state level as well. So I don't, the second amendment in that paper doesn't apply to the states, but the ruling factor of my natural right to keep and bear arms does apply to the states and the people must enforce that at the state level as well. The principles that are true in, you know, in the bill of rights Mm -hmm. are true at the federal level and the state level. Yes. It's a matter of principles. That's what the bill of rights is. It's a document documenting principles. And so now you get the argument, well, it doesn't apply to the states. Well, then now all of a sudden the people think, well, the, then it should be all right for my governor to take my right to keep and bear arms. When in reality, it's not a matter of does the Bill of Rights in the federal constitution apply or not. Your natural rights always apply. Yeah, that, that's and we've had that conversation. Uh, used to be a frequent argument. It seems like it's fallen by the wayside. Yeah. But we used to run into that incorporation document the, argument. Incorporation doctrine. Incorporation doctrine argument mm-hmm. a lot. And, you you know, we would say that's missing the point. Yeah, that's it's, kind it's, of a distraction is argument. Is that what you would call a red herring? Something It is a bit of a red herring yeah. because, as you say, the, the point is not whether the document, the document binds which level. It's it's the matter. The principles underneath it. Mm-hmm. Natu- I, I have a natural right to keep and bear arms. And no government, no government... Uh, should have the authority to violate that, right. federal, state, or otherwise. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Um, something else popped up. I uh, caught my attention. Um, but anyway, back so to, I don't want to spend forever on that one thing, but in that context, the reason, I guess one main point of the reason of, you know, the AG, the federal AG suing states um no, no authority was delegated by the Constitution in that realm. So right. he really has no standing right. to be suing a state. He has no standing to sue the state. Another question that I saw come up on, on the feed here, JC, is a question I've been seeing a lot. And you can just fill in the blank. Does my governor of my state have the authority to, prov- to, to tell me I, can't, I have to shut down my business or I have to, or, or I have to stay home? Okay, so the answer to that question is simply this. You have to know your state constitution. You have to know your state statutes. So if you're asking me about the legal authority to do something, then you must look in your constitution, state constitution and to your state uh, statutes. Now, if you're asking me, do they have the proper authority, meaning based on natural law? If your governor is depriving you of your right to property, if your governor is tri- depriving you of your right to, to, to self-defense and to secure your, your liberties, now you're, re- you're, you're diving into a natural right. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna share with you what Samuel Adams said. Among the natural rights of the colonists are these first life, secondly liberty, third property, together with the right to keep and bear arms. Well, he doesn't say that. He says the right to protect and defend them in the best manner that you can, right? Now, I want to mention to you, because this happens all the time, he didn't say your First Amendment right. He didn't say the constitutional rights of the colonists. He said natural rights. You don't have constitutional rights. You don't have First Amendment rights. You don't have Second Amendment rights. Your rights don't come from these amendments. And I, 
Some, somebody said, oh, well, that's just semantics. No, it's not just semantics. You know why it's not semantics? I have this troll that follows me on Twitter, and I I allow him to remain. Most of the time, if you know, if you have no face and you have like four followers, I'm gonna block you. I don't even bother with you. But this guy, this guy seems to be the epitome of of the uneducated or miseducated progressive mentality. So he actually teaches me that mindset and gives me that. So when you talk about these things as being constitutional rights, you actually feed these people their lines. And he said today on my Twitter feed, if it's not listed in the constitution, it can't be a constitutional right. So stop talking to me about these rights to be able to move around and all this other stuff uh, and to be free from vaccinations or, or forced confinements or whatever. He says, because if it's not listed in the Constitution, it's not a constitutional right. So this is the kind of argument that we create, may, albeit inadvertently, when we say things like First Amendment right or Second Amendment right or, or my Fourth Amendment right. These are not that. Now, I responded to him simply, well, I think maybe you need to go read the Ninth Amendment. Because the Ninth Amendment says the enumeration of rights uh, are, uh, I can't call it off the top of my head. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So the Ninth Amendment says right there, just because we've made a list, it's not an exhaustive list, and you have other rights, other natural rights that are not listed in this document. But you can't get, that's another one of those grammar things, too, that people are going to stumble over, you know. I mean, I, I have it memorized, so... We need to get in the habit of stop saying Constitution, First Amendment, whatever rights. These are our natural rights. The purpose of the Constitution was to remind us that they were natural rights, not gifts of government. Do we have another question? Uh, I don't know. There are several discussions. <laughs> uh, liberty, liberty cause. What, what, what are you talking about here? That particular discussion is frowned upon. You must be referring to the chat room. I know he's not referring to the host. Yeah. So make sure when you're asking your questions that you uh, make sure that you you let us know specifically that you're asking a question. Now I had a question come in on the, on the uh, on my social media about the sheriff. Now we actually had a cl uh, sort of a class on the sheriff in this a uh, couple days ago but the question is uh can the sheriff deny the authority of the state police or the federal uh these federal mandates and basically the other question is what if the sheriff is ordered by the governor to take people's guns or to lock them up without due process well sh the the sheriff in almost every state is the highest authority in that jurisdiction subject only to the people himself, right? Because the sheriff is elected as a representative of the people. I say almost every state because some states like Delaware under uh, the late Biden, 
actually stripped the sheriff of their of their authority which by the way stripped the people of Delaware of an essential check and balance and guard of their liberties because the purpose of the sheriff as a as a constitutionally elected official who takes an oath to the constitution of the United States and the constitution of the state is to ensure that the rights of the people are secure not to ensure that the laws of the state are enforced, but to ensure that the rights of the people are secure first and that the laws that are enforced are subject to those rights. And so that would apply to anybody coming into your county, would be the governor, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, the, and, even the, um, and even the state police. Because the state police are not elected representatives of the people. They are hirelings of the state. And as a direct representative of the, of the people, he has that kind of authority. The sheriff. The sheriff does. Right. The sheriff does. And to deny that, JC, is to deny 850 years of history and over 350 years of American history and government. Yeah. I think having a having constitutional sheriff peace officers is so is to, to me one of the biggest one of the biggest issues because because right. we have so many in so many police and um so-called law enforcement that that are not liberty minded that right. that are just statist yeah i mean abusing people's liberties day in and day mm-hmm. out uh and so many so many that you know, just blindly follow that sort of nationalist, you know, yay, yay police. And they make no differentiation of, of, you know, well, what are, what are the police doing? Um, So you, you have, you have to judge individuals in, in those positions in the framework of liberty, uh, not just because they're in some uniform. And we know, and we know it, you know, because of what you do and what you've done and working with these constitutional sheriff and peace officers. I mean, we know so many awesome sheriffs and deputies so that, are, that are liberty-minded. Absolutely. I mean, that is one movement that we need to expand so much. I mean, and you got bad, you got bad sheriffs, too. I mean, you know, non-liberty, tyrannical sheriffs out there. I mean, all, all those people need to re- be replaced with liberty-minded peace officers like many of the ones we know. So I, I think that's one of the biggest issues out there. You know, if there if there's any organization that ought to be supported in my opinion is CSPOA. Yes. Uh and and support that movement and spread that education right. is is huge man. Right. Huge. Exactly. The uh we we have to we have to take the the lessons also where we find them. This is a really good learning experience for us right now. In the midst of the panic in the midst of what is going on in America, we have to understand that we are now being given a gift of people identifying themselves, either ignorant of their responsibilities or, or malignant in their responsibilities. And if you have a sheriff that's running around wanting to, to shut down your ability to carry your gun, lock you in your house, if you want to have a county commissioner that wants to put you on lockdown, on, uh, and then you have now identified people by their fruits on how they act in crisis. 
how these people act when they have an opportunity to power, okay, is how is their real nature. And you need to work to get these people out of office. This is such a beautiful gift that we're being given. You now know who needs to go, okay? You now know who needs to go. I know that Scott London had asked the question about Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15. When does the federal government have the authority to call up the militia? And they only have the authority to call up the militia in times of rebellion or insurrection. Insurrection or invasion, sorry. Insurrection or invasion. Once again, panic is not in the list. Pandemic is not in the list. And you can't say that they never suffered through pandemic and they didn't know about pandemics, that pandemics are a natural thing. My goodness, the bubonic plague was in 1413. So they knew about these things. If they wanted... Franklin, Jefferson or Franklin lose a child to smallpox? Yeah. Franklin, maybe? One of them did, yeah. So, right, there's another example. Smallpox. If they wanted the federal government to be involved in these kinds of situations they would have made it federal they did not and i want to tell you why pandemic panic and these kind of things are not in the constitution okay i i happen to believe that i have some insight on this based on the study that i've done why because the powers delegated as james madison said to the federal government are few and defined they are to be principally exercised on war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. All other powers are reserved to the state to, conclu- to include all of the, the authority within the course of the ordinary course of affairs, he says, the lives, the liberties, the properties of the people, the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state are reserved to the states. Why? Because on the federal level, you have to treat everybody the same. A federal law that goes out has to treat the, somebody in Bakersfield, California, in the same way that they treat somebody in New York City, New York. They have to treat the same way they do in Wellburn, Florida, as they do in Portland, Oregon. That is not how you deal with disease. That's not how you deal with locally uh, issues that impact people locally. You have to have the luxury, you have to have the ability to deal with these things at a local level. You can't make a sweeping rule to cover everybody. So it has to be done at the local level because even in Florida, Tampa is not Dixie County. Hillsborough County is not Dixie County. Duval County is not, is not Madison County. You can't do the same things in Jacksonville that you do in Madison. And, and, and to say that you can is just ludicrous. Yeah, it's I throwing was, the baby out with the bathwater is what it really is. I was researching, I mean, I was looking at articles about this, what's happening in New York City and that, and I was researching um, population densities of mm-hmm. cities, and I just wondered population density you know, has a lot to do with some of this. I don't know, I'm not a doctor. Uh, but, you know, when they're talking about, I, I heard the, the doctors say, you know, you're in an urban setting, the, the more dense the population is, obviously, when you're talking about close contact spreading, you know, mm-hmm. you uh, obviously have more close contact 
just by the nature of how you know how the place is is uh, populated. And so, as you said, that certainly Dixie County, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe half a person per square mile, as opposed to New York City, twenty-seven thousand plus people per square mile. Mile that that's a big a big difference. And so, what they might need to do uh, right. would not be the same thing as what Dixie County would need to do. Right. Exactly. Um, that's the whole point. And I think that's the approach. That's the approach that. Governor DeSantis has tried to take. Then, of course, you know, Miami, Miami issued their, uh, you know, whatever their stay at home order or what have you. Again, you're talking about one of the highest density, densely populated cities in America. So it's a completely different sort of thing. Well, they keep trying to compare. They keep trying to say, if we don't do what we do, what what we're doing, what's happening in Italy is going to happen here. But look at the demographic of Italy. The northern part of Liberty of, of Italy is is one of the most densely populated parts of Italy. That's where where you're having all this problem. So you have one third of, of a country, Italy, uh, who's having this problem when the rest of the state, at least initially, didn't have the problem because they're not densely populated like that. You're going to see this the same way throughout the United States. You can't compare a densely populated area with a rural area. It's just not yeah. going to be the same. I want to say, for me, again, uh, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with the recommendations and recommending, mm-hmm. you know, social distancing and this, that, and the other. But the the mandated restrictions, uh, particularly when they affect your inherent rights, right? I mean, that that's what I have a problem with, and then. Right. The second thing, when I think about the curfews, the stay at home and all this sort of thing, they're not practically, I mean, not only are they, you know, not constitutionally or legally enforceable, as you say, but they're, they're also um, not practically enforceable. Right. Right. It, it, it really all comes down to the cooperation of the individual, whether the individual simply wants to carry out uh, the recommendations. I mean, in in you know, obviously in some instances you see a giant crowd, you know, obviously you, I guess you can roll in and do something about that. But you think about this, the curfew thing, which still, and even the stay at home has the so-called essential, essential industries. So you're still going to have people going in and out. How do you know who you're stopping? And then when you stop, just say, just say you stopped everybody you saw, every one of them Mm -hmm. could say, I'm going to Right, they could learn whatever the sixteen categories, federally listed categories of essential industries, and they could just say, "I'm doing one of these 16. And so, you you even when they issue these things, they're really not enforceable on a practical level. No, as long as you have an exception. So, as long as you have an yeah, exception, yeah, unless it's then, complete total lockdown, and then then you're talking about the resources to enforce right, it. That exactly. that's when that's you literally exception. would need military i mean just blanketing the country well now now you've they're the ones you know gathering together you put as many military on the street to have to be able to enforce this thing as people you're trying to keep off the street so the stuff seems impracticable uh when you try to raise it to a mandated level you may as well keep it suggestions or recommendations because that's that's really the only way 
it works anyway. People yeah, have, our sheriff, have to voluntarily comply. In, a, in the public meeting that you were talking about, our sheriff of Hillsborough County was angry. Yeah. He was angry at the county commissioner saying that they were going to implement the shelter in place, the lockdown, whatever you want to call it. He sounded angry. He, he, that's that's well, probably the right, best we could say. Right. I, I didn't see his face. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm angry. But you could hear the tension in his lungs. It certainly seemed that way. Certainly seemed that way. And, and it's been contrary to, you know, what he's, what he's expressed. So, I mean, he said... We can't... We're going to do... We'll, like, it was like, through gritted teeth, he said, we'll do what you tell us to do. But then in... in as he was saying it, you could kind of understand him saying, but it's not practical. You're putting us in a position to do something that we're not going to be able to do anyway. Right. And, and he was not, he's, you could tell he wasn't happy about this at all. Well, and, 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 insert, and at one point, now, he I can't said, say what he will or will. Yeah, well, do, at but. one point, he actually said, there is no way for me to facilitate this, none yeah. whatsoever. He said, what are you going to do? I'm going to pull, our officers are going to pull somebody over. They're going to say we're in an essential duty. Then I'm going to follow them to where they're going. What, and, and here's from a, from a prosecutor, from a legal standpoint, here's the big problem. These orders are not legislation, number one. So you have already a procedural problem. Number two, they're vague. So they don't establish the proof. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to a, an, an, an event that's an essential event, right? I'm going to an essential function, which is on the essential list. Okay, fine. How do I prove that? Do I have to prove that? If they if 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 the officer can can arbitrarily say to me, I don't believe you, then then that's no longer that's no longer uh, going to stand up in court. Now the question always becomes, can they arrest me? Yes, they can arrest you. Will that arrest hold in court? No, it won't. So, like but, we. But meanwhile, you're in jail for meanwhile, 60 days. Meanwhile, you're in jail. That's the problem. But nonetheless, you know, civil disobedience at some point has always been a peaceful remedy to the check and balance. And just as Martin Luther King uh, and and his people decided that we're not going, we're going to engage in civil disobedience to bring attention and correction to these unconstitutionally uh, limiting laws, to these laws violating our natural rights, then at some point in time in our future history, that might be necessary as well. What I find ironic is, JC, the history of civil disobedience. So Martin Luther, Rosa Parks engages in civil disobedience to violate a, a civil rights violating law. Martin Luther King, they do their sit-ins and do that. What is civil disobedience in America today? Going to work and trying to feed your family. Civil disobedience in America now has become, I'm going to, I'm going to visit my grandmother. You know, because my grandmother is not an essential task as designed by the government. And in some places, civil disobedience is required to go to church for Pete's sakes. This is what happens when people become inattentive to their rights for so long. Well, I think another important part of this, um, a lot of this stuff whips up the mob. I think that's important to bear in mind because... By intention. Now when you have people... You know, even for instance, if you look at the federal the federal list, the sixteen essential industries, blah blah blah. So you have within that list churches engaged in charitable activity. Okay, mm -hmm. um, so that's that's an essential 
considered is, is essential. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it doesn't even apply, you know, these things don't even apply uh, to that. But yet, because of rel- the religious bigotry, the, you know, massive religious bigotry out there, people, they don't, they don't freak out when people are going to Walmart. Oh, we're going to burn Walmart down. We're going to shut Walmart down. But you, you know how people threatening churches, threatening to burn down churches mm-hmm. because people are at church, even though they're on the list of essential industries on, on the federal list. Well, but so the you need to be is, aware, yeah. uh, you know, personally, you need to be aware of your surroundings and know that much of this whips up the idiots out there and, you you know, the, the government and the media could literally be putting your life in danger because of the narrative that they're pushing. Not only that, I mean, you know, a lot of our local governments aren't going by that list. Some of our, a lot of our government, local governments are specifically out uh, in their order making specific mention of church and the prohibition of the church. Yeah. When in reality, if you want to understand the church is an essential service in society, has been that way for centuries, uh, go to chrisanhall.com and read the article that I that I wrote on uh, COVID nineteen and religious liberties. You'll understand why it will uh, it should not be held up in court that a church is not a is a is not an essential service. So so these are the things that we we need to understand. JC, I highlighted something for you to read before I moved on, but. Uh, I, I, you don't have to read it out loud. Just read it and then let yeah, me know. I but I want to. I want to talk. I don't want to leave Article One, Section Eight, Clause Fifteen yet. We can move on to that next if you want to do it. But Article One, Section Clause Eighteen. I'm just going to go ahead and read it because there's a lot of chat in the chat room about this, and I want us to make sure that we know what we're talking about. Article One, Section Eight, Clause Set Fifteen says to provide for calling uh, forth. That's it's Article One, so it's Congress. By the way, Congress, not the president. The president does not have the authority constitutionally to call up the militia. We call the militia, errantly call the militia the National Guard today because the National Guard is the the federal act that took over the state militias unconstitutionally, right? So constitutionally speaking, there is no National Guard. It ought to still remain individual state militias. So to provide for calling forth the militia, a power that belongs to Congress, to execute the laws of the union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. Now, you cannot apply Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 outside the context of Article 6, Clause 2. So, Congress cannot call forth the militia to enforce laws made by Congress that are not made in pursuance to the Constitution. Does that make sense? Article 6, Clause 2 says that if the, if the laws are not made in pursuance to the Constitution, they are null and void, They're, the judges of the states are not bound by them, and they are not constitutionally established laws. So Congress cannot call up the militia to enforce laws of the Union that do not comply with the Constitution. So in the aspect of national emergency, it wouldn't, it, since national emergency is not a constitutionally delegated authority, they would not have the authority constitutionally to uh, call forward the militia. I hope that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so some people, I guess we have some Florida folks and local mm-hmm. folks. The, the, um, 
we listened in on the meeting, the emergency council, emergency operations committee or whatever in Hillsborough County, the only people, Chris B., the only people who supported the lockdown was, uh, were Mayor Castor and... Queen uh, Castor. And Councilwoman Overman. So the two, you know, pretty far left-leaning Democrats there. Uh, none of the Republicans supported Plant City Mayor um, Temple Terrace, none of those supported, nor did um, uh, Lee uh, Les Miller Les Jr., Miller. who is a conservative Democrat. He's and, actually and the was chair the chair. Of, yeah. He's the chair of the county commission Yeah, um, and was the chair of this committee as well. He's so actually the one. Only those two Democrats supported it. But they, he uh, was the one, Les Miller was the one that I was consistent. I have been consistently impressed with every single time I've had involvement yeah. with him. He's a conservative Democrat. He's, he's not always where we are, but he he's a he's a very strong man of faith and he's he's a stable like he's just stable full of wisdom mm-hmm. and he, he, i mean he's a leader this, this cons- guy's a real he leader seems he's to consistent. be consistently he consistent. concerned with the with the rights of the people yeah he is, he is. so I, I like him unfortunately he's retiring he's not going right. to run again but i'm right. i'm hoping that we get somebody he, like he's him he's a again, local but- democrat that I would like to stay for him to mm-hmm. stay in office. Now I've just made um, a bunch of Republicans mad by saying that I would have vo- I would yeah, vote whatever. for a Democrat, but I but the Republicans is what we would call a Dixiecrat. Dixiecrat down here, but anyway. But so, I've seen Republicans that can't match up with his consistency. So no, no, you know, absolutely not. Remember, we're principle over party here. Yeah, Les Miller's more conservative than several Republicans at the federal level yeah. that I can name. That would take me about thirty minutes to rattle all their names off. But so. Um, did you want to answer Anymore? that question? Uh, basically, are, is this like a precursor to the end times? Yeah, the, <laughs> that, that, the, okay, so the question is... Ah, uh, man, I don't know what the full details. Oh, that no, was, just... That, that, was, we, that was the general... That was the gist of basically, do I see this as, um, I guess, judgment to an extent? Or like, do I see this in an end times context? Okay, do you guys think that think the challenges we are facing are for warnings of the one who gave us our rights preparing to hand out justice? Yeah. I I don't I don't know. I honestly I don't know. Um I I don't know. <laughs> I I don't have an answer to that. Um I, I you know, I always hesitate to speak in that kind of to, to give those those sorts of pronouncements on um, First off, I don't want to give the enemy, gl- uh, you know, any kind of glory, sure, and, and that sort of thing. So, I, but I think it. I think it. Uh, I don't think it's wise to to make to make a lot of those pronouncements like mm-hmm. that. Number one, if you're wrong, you know, then you you discredit. I think you discredit what you're trying to support. Right, you know what right. I mean. And and on the other hand, you know, or the other reason is, um, I just uh, you don't want to make it sound like you're glorying over yeah death and destruction yeah you know what I mean yeah. so I don't I don't like that kind of I don't like that kind of talk just to be honest with you and well, I, and I just, I don't know um, I think the the bigger question the more specific question you know that I would discuss is you know, do you think is this particular thing represent this particular verse or prophecy, or whatever? Yeah. And, 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 and no, I don't know of anything like that. Now, I know 
people like Jonathan Kahn and some of these guys, they make their living off of doing stuff like that. Um, I, I, and, and, and let them keep that in their I, wheelhouse. Yeah, that's not our wheelhouse. Yeah, and I'm so. not going to start criticizing these guys for what they do, but that's not my thing. That's, that's their thing. That's not our <laughs> thing. So whatever. So thank you, Woody Nick, for your love for Montana and your Super Chat donation. Thank you. Yeah, it's Miriam. Miriam is, <laughs> she is always giving us love. You're always amazing. Yeah, you, she, she sent us a Super Chat sticker. You're amazing with the little purple, blue pair that jumps up and down. We appreciate you. Um, we thank you very much. I want to thank you guys for all your Super Chats. So what I'm going to do at this moment in time is just sort of summarize some of the important points that I think we've covered today. Give you guys one last chance in the chat room to submit your questions, okay? This is your last chance to have a constitutional lawyer to answer your questions about the Constitution who actually understands the Constitution and it's not going to cost you $250 an hour, okay? So this is your last chance to come up with your question while I reiterate the, the important aspects here. Number one. Uh, I believe that this is an amazing opportunity to allow people in government to classify themselves. How your people in government are acting right now is a true mark of their character. Isn't there some kind of idiom about uh, people in the fire and their, when you're in the fire, your, two, your true personality, your true traits come out or something like that under fire or something. Well, that's what we're seeing here. So if you find yourself with a tyrannical mayor like we have Miss Castor in Tampa, and I don't, we don't live in Tampa City, so she has no jurisdiction over us. But you see yourself with a sheriff or a county commissioner or a city council person that's like, who, who, who immediately wants to lock people down. You know, I mean, what does a curfew do? I, I don't understand the whole premise behind a curfew. And we've already discussed the, how the, the house arrest, by the way, they call it um, uh, shelter in place. But in reality, it's house arrest, right? Because if you leave, they're going to give you a fine there's even in some cases a misdemeanor punishable by to 60 days in jail. So if you're going to make me pay money or you're threatening me with jail, then what you're really doing is putting me on house arrest. Bottom line. Okay? I'm not going on house arrest. So we've already said how these things are unconstitutional and uh, unenforceable. But you need to use these experiences to identify people and to get active in the next elections and get them out of office. Do you know how many people have come to me and said, you know what, this whole thing has settled my mind. I have to run for office now. I yeah. have to run for office. And so then uh, not only is it a good tool, but we're also getting an opportunity to teach people about the Constitution. People are asking constitutional questions. These things, uh, you need to stand for your rights in your churches. You need to stand for your rights. You need a pastor who will stand. You need one. If you don't have one, then you need to think about that again. And so basically the whole summation that I want to give you today is that if you're asking the question, can the president do it, then you need to read Article 2. If it's not in Article 2, then the president doesn't have the authority to do it. He can, but he doesn't have the authority. Can, uh, does Congress have the authority to do this? Read Article 1. If it's not on the list, they don't have the authority. 
be diligent about reading our documents. And if you have questions, I'm always here. Oh my goodness, I am probably, what did Thaddeus say? We're like the most attentive people doing what we do because we actually take the time to answer people's questions. So mm-hmm. our question and answer thing here is is how we live on social media. Send me your questions. Yep. All right, so did we get any more questions, There Jason? were several, but we're out of time, so we'll, we have to mark them and hit them, hit them next time or do another Q&A show. Okay. All righty then. So, uh, thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you for your questions and answers. I will go ahead and take a screenshot, if I can, of your questions, and we'll keep them for next time. How's that? Sounds good. God bless you guys. See you next time.